If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How you doing there? It is podcast time and there's a lot, a lot to digest. A lot been happening, a lot to happen. Hope your weekend is fine. Hope you're feeling good. How are you, John Boy? I'm good as always, Mac. Uh, good as, as always. always. As always. John and I are trying to put a really good face on it today, but it's all good. <laughs> How was your week? All good? All good. You know, I was laughing my ass off watching the news all week about... Uh, the Boris. Oh, Johnson. And, and, and it's just unbelievable. Every day there's more stuff coming out. And, you know, Partygate's been going on for months and months and months now. And it's kind of boring. But they're now the Tories are turning on him. But he is that Teflon Don who's kind of getting away with it. Yeah. So far, anyway. But then he turns up in India. You know, he scarpers off to India. And and all the, the pictures in the press are him looking like an Egypt with a big turban on his head. Well, this whole, remember last week, Mark Little talked to us about chaos monkeys. Yes. And he was saying that Elon Musk yeah. is a chaos monkey, right? Boris Johnson is a chaos monkey. Yeah. Right? And it's funny, I've just come back from Belfast. I was up in Belfast at the weekend and I was giving a speech to the Irish League of Credit Unions, right? And I believe the credit unions are actually part of the solution to the problem we're going to talk about later on yeah. in the podcast, the housing market, right? It's an enormous source of finance, which has got enormously brilliant understanding of its local area. It was also started by John Hume. And John Hume thought, this is fascinating, right? The Derry Credit Union was set up by John Hume. Remember we did a riff on the undertones being financed by the Derry yeah. Credit Union? Yeah. We know yeah. undertones, it wasn't yeah, the Derry yeah. Credit Union. But his idea was that access to capital was part of human rights and civil rights, right? And because up north the nationalists weren't being given access to capital because the banks were amazingly, as it seems now, and it's amazing the turn in the north, they were Protestant controlled in the 50s and 60s. They didn't give the Catholics or didn't entertain the Catholics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catholics couldn't get finance. So Hume said, hold on a second, we have our own finance here. Why don't we set up a credit union for us? So part of the civil rights campaign Mm. was the credit unions. And it's always a joy speaking to credit union members and credit union managers because 
What you have is local finance for local people fixing local issues. Yeah. And it was great. And of course, the, but the interesting thing you talk about Johnson, right? Yeah. Do you know, you see they're actually playing around with the port protocol again. I know, I know. Actually, and, and this is his thing, you know, when he, when he gets into trouble, it's like he floats these kites, like he floats, it was last week it was Rwanda. Yes. Right? Yeah, this yeah. week it's, well, we don't need the Northern Irish protocol. So it's always engineering a fight with somebody, deflecting from the whole thing. But the problem is that the UK at its fundamental basis, right, has subscribed to and signed up to the rules-based multilateral system. When you sign a treaty, you sign a treaty. Like yeah. Putin's the opposite. Putin's like when you sign a treaty, you know, as Adolf Hitler said, treaties, they're there to be broken. That was Hitler's yeah, yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. What you have in the UK is they're signing treaties and they're breaking them. And of course, they're weaponizing Northern Ireland, as they always do, ahead of the election in May, on May the 5th, because the Shinners are probably going to be end up being the number one party there. But it's a dangerous game he's playing because, you know, if Johnson and Britain become known as treaty breakers, yeah. serial treaty breakers. Rogue states. Yeah. Like he's in India at the moment trying to set up a free trade agreement. And, you know, he's trying to set up all these free trade agreements around the world with individual groups. People are going to be looking at him going, hang on a second. So we've agreed to this. Are you sure you're going to stick to this or what? Yeah, yeah. or... Hang on a second. We had a free trade agreement with the EU up until two years ago. Yeah. You looked at, now you want another one. And of course, in the Indian mind, right? Never forget that the only foreign leader who went to the celebration of the establishment of the Indian state, the only one invited was mm. Eamon de Valera. Right, yes. In 1950 yeah. in Birmingham. So they wanted to announce the Indian state. So 1947, the Indians get independence, right? Yeah. 1950, they have a celebration in the UK for the first time. They weren't allowed to have it in London by the Brits, so they had to have it in Birmingham. Yeah. And the only foreign leader who came was de Valera. Why? Because Nehru and de Valera were really, really close. Because Nehru, it's an amazing story. Nehru, right, the leader of... So you've got Gandhi, the leader of independence. Yeah. But you've also got Nehru, the leader of the Indian state, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. In 1907, Nero is in Dublin, right? Because his brother is in the College of Surgeons. And he writes home to his father and he says, I'm watching this Sinn Féin people here in Ireland. And the amazing thing is what they're saying, and he quotes, is that freedom won't be given to you. It has to be taken. So the connection, right? right? Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. I'm saying is, so Johnson's there in India talking about, but deep in the Indian psyche is a profound dislike of those upper-class Brits, as Shashi Thurur wrote in his book, when Britain arrived in India, Indian GDP was 31% mm -hmm. of global yeah. GDP, and when they left, it was less than 3%. <laughs> so all that's going on. But the, the idea in the North is that, again, what they're doing is deflect, deflect, deflect from party gate or yeah. whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. So the chaos monkey the the is, chaos monkey. is, is a perfect description of Okay, it. Boris Johnson, you heard it here first, <laughs> is the chaos monkey of the British Conservative Party. And there are many chaos monkeys <laughs> yeah. in that bleeding party. So I was there, I was in East Belfast at the weekend. Do you know where we're going to speak? Uh, in terms of Irish culture. Yeah, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Announce it there. Tommy Dull, good the Inish man on Sahar Shakun. Tosa August Misha. August Baby Egg Eirocht on Podcast Yen of Osquelega. Togama. Three Gaelica. We'll do La Berla, La Gaelica. Berlicus. 
Bearlicus. Bearlicus. I'll okay. do the barely bit. You, you do, do the barely bit. I'll do the Gaelic a bit. Well, I'll try. They make Eroks on yeah. Gaelic a bit. Yeah, they'll be laughing at you. They'll be... They will They will be a Goira. Do you remember that one? They'll be a Goira at us. But anyway, we're going to Inishman, Saharan Shakuin, and John and I are going to be observers at the Inishman 10K. But ni vemid egre tushka wilma kus grishta. Or lap brishta. Yeah. Okay, and how's your Ned? <laughs> My Ned is seriously brishta. Sashay lawn August brishta. Okay, so it's the uh, the Dahimok Liam podcast, O Inish Man. They start in Shakuin, August. We'll do it inside in the pub. There's a great pub. Chok Tavorna, Inish Man. Yeah. Tonil Aun Ok Pubawan, Ernilon. And it doesn't really shut. Excellent. That's what we're doing it from. Tolon Juk. Shall we have Beg a lawn joke. <laughs> Agreeing. Beg. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that Gaelica. Okay, we'll move on. Actually, we should do a lot more Gaelica. Yeah. Air, yeah. On, air on podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. No, not for you. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. So tell us, what do you make of France this oh, week? Did they... you see any? I mean, I, I we were just I... talking Irish there, but I, I don't understand the French either. But you could see the body language was amazing. It was great. I was watching the debate. I watched it on France 24. And it was on last Thursday, no, Wednesday night. Wednesday, yeah. And the body language, Le Pen's body language was much, much, much better. Mm. France dodged a bullet there, right? They got scared. Four out of 10 French people voted for extreme right. Yeah. And if you look at prior to the runoff, six out of 10 people voted either extreme right or extreme left. So you're talking about a country really ill at ease with itself. But again, when they saw the, it's either Le Pen or Macron, they went for Macron. Yeah. But but, Macron's but, but, body language was, 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 yeah, yeah, his body yeah. language was, he was like, a, he was like an arrogant, her body language was good. He was just kind of looking she at her. She was kind of cool, actually. She, she was cool. And, but he was, you know, smug, arrogant, Dismissive. Globalist. Globalist. Yeah, it was all of that. Yeah, he was just... It, but he was on top of his brief. Yeah. That's the thing. And, you know, the question is, does Europe want a France run by Le Pen, close proximity to Putin, at a time when Germany is getting the heebie-jeebies? No. And I think the French people just said, not this time. But again, if you look at the graph of the right wing in France since the 70s, since the 80s. Mm. Every single election, they do a little bit better and a little bit better and yeah. a little bit better because the issues are real. But, you know, the first round, is that a little bit of a misnomer? Because you just said like six out of 10 people voted either extreme left or extreme right. Yeah. Are they just doing that because they can? Yeah. They're just voicing. They're never going to follow through on that. It's like the European elections here. The reason the European election throws up loons like fucking the bankrupt builder who's become a Marxist, what's his name? Wallace. Oh, yes. And, and those ones, right? And the reason, the, because the European election doesn't matter to us, right? It's yeah. over there. We're voting for, it's like voting in the Romans used to vote for emissaries. You know, the Ovid, the poet, Ovid was jailed. <laughs> Ovid was sent. Now, this is good because I'm reading fucking right. Roman shite now. Right. Ovid was sent to Dacia. Dacia right. is Romania. The reason the Romanians speak a language which sounds like Italian yeah. is the Romanians are Romans. They are right. Ro- Romania, yeah. people from Rome. And their place, you know the car, the, da- the Dacia? Yeah. The province was called Dacia. Right, right? okay. 
And that's where the Dacia Duster comes from, okay? Yeah, yeah. And the Romans used to do that as a big skip to throw all their ne'er-do-wells in there, right? It was a big, like, you know, if you go, if you went offside... You were banished to there, Yeah, if you went offside and they didn't yeah. want to kill you because they thought you were okay, yeah. you were thrown... You in. might be useful later on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they threw you into Dacia and poor Al Ovid was sent there for writing pornographic poetry in his old age, <laughs> right. right? He was a great man for the poetry and then he got a bit frisky. <laughs> it was the porn hub of the ancient world in Dacia, Right. And the, the European Parliament, I always think, is the same. Kind of, really, It's like, yeah, whoever, whatever, you know. And I think you're absolutely right. So the first round is like, I'm pissed off about the world and I'm yeah. going to vote for the extreme fellow. Yeah. And then yeah. the second round is, all right, we've had their second afternoon, kiddies time. Yeah. It's adult play as the as the, the fellows who understand GA say it's, it's, what do they call it, senior hurling. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. junior hurling, right? <laughs> and, uh, but interestingly, what you see is Le Pen modifying her position and changing her position and becoming more and more acceptable to more French people. And and more skilled, actually. Yeah. In in her debating and in her her whole presentation. Yeah, but let's not let's not forget that her ultimate idea is the sanctity of the race. Mm. Okay, the purity of France. It's totally against, despite what the PR people say, it's against immigration completely. Yeah. It's against globalization. It's against European integration. It's against actually all those things that, for example, the Ukrainians are fighting for. Yeah. Right? It's taken for granted. What it's about is purity of the race. Yeah. It's, it's an ethno-nationalist vote. It's interesting. And it's, it's, and it's I think, like maybe a lot of people in the podcast might, might listening might disagree, I think it's really dangerous. Yeah. It's interesting because I was watching a Vox pop of kind of local French people because she did a, during the week she was touring around, obviously, and various Vox Pops and the interviewer was saying, so do you not think that Le Pen is is racist? <gasps> no, 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 she's not racist. She's just puts France first. And that's the, you know, it's it's, one of the, it's just it's a play the, it's on semantics words. semantics and it's yes, language. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, but that's kind of powerful in itself. I'm not racist. I'm just putting well, it's me very, first. It's very, very powerful. And it's, and it's an underlying, co- and the interesting thing about humanity is humans do like to hang out with people who are like them, mm. right? Humans, we, yeah. we existed in tribes. Yeah. The notion of language, the notion of common culture, the notion of common norms, the, 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 no, the very notion of the nation is based on an ethnic purity idea, yeah. right? That yeah. we subscribe to these things, right? And Europe is a great example of that because Europe of the nations, the nations themselves, are all ethnically originally conceived. But now in a globalised world, you have to really moderate that view. Well, you, I think you should, because what you have, and we're going to talk about it on Thursday with Mark Blythe, you have basically, the war has given you two choices of how to run the country, right? The war in Ukraine. Yeah. You have the ethnocentric Russian view, which that to be Russian is actually nothing more than the geographic expression of a deep culture, right? And you have the Ukrainian view, which is that we are Ukrainians, we speak Russian and we speak Ukrainian, Mm. Our president happens to be Jewish, right? We want to be part of the liberal order. So we want to be Slavs like Poles, but we want to be Slavs like Poles with a Western face. Yeah. And of course, the Russians say to be Slavic, you have to have an Eastern face. Yes. And you have to have a Russian face. So these discussions, we will talk about them. We talk about them on on Thursday, right? Sure, sure, sure. They're really essential. But again, it has been fascinating to watch the French elections at a time when, and we're going to talk about this again, the rate of inflation is rising and the rate of inflation when it rises affects poor people more than rich people. Yes. 
And Le Pen, her single greatest card, I believe, wasn't race, but was the idea that poor people in France or poorer people in France are now going to pay more of their take-home wage on essentials, whereas the rich people can deal with that because their take-home wage is so much greater. I was actually, I was interested, I was looking at Christine Lagarde of the ECB, right? A lawyer who's actually everything that Le Pen detests, right? She is a lawyer. She worked for a big American law firm. She is a globalist, all that. But she's also a politician, right? She's Macron's choice. And what you find is the French have always been amazing at getting their top guys and girls into crucial positions in the World Bank, in the IMF, in the United Nations, in the ECB. That's part of French diplomacy. But she's doing something... It's very Irish like that, in many ways. It is very Irish, (laughs) but there's lots more of them. Yeah. And, uh, but what is fascinating is she is saying on inflation in Europe, she's taking the view this is temporary. So she's betting the entire credibility of the Eurozone they're not going to raise interest rates in Europe. But, and the Americans are raising interest rates this week. Apparently, the Americans are going to in, raise interest rates this week by as much as half percentage points. Wow, and that's the, a lot. It is a lot. And the Europeans are actually waiting and seeing what happens. And the reason, of course, is that the ECB does not want to be responsible for a recession in Europe at a time of war. So the interest rate decisions they're making are not just predicated on the rate of inflation, they're predicated on the entire orientation of European policy. Yeah. And it will be quite interesting. So those of you who are watching the euro very closely and watching rate interest rates, thinking about that, thinking about markets or whatever, our bet is that the Europeans drag their heels on interest rates and allow the Americans raise rates as quickly as they want and the Europeans won't. But just just on the inflation thing, I mean, there's there's two things actually. In France in particular, Macron has been quite good at Capping prices of oil and stuff, and trying to, yeah, trying to He's taking the John Davis uh, view that you advocated a month ago. Yes, yes, he, he is. See, he was he listening. <laughs> he's, he's. I know he's a huge fan of the podcast. Exactly. I know he is. He's a friend of the podcast, actually. <laughs> friend of the podcast. <laughs> but the other thing is that you know you hear the inflation argument a lot in America, in particular, and you know in America it's all politics is all finger pointing. But point of fingers at at Biden. Biden's got very little control over inflation, but they're weaponizing the whole inflation argument as if it is some individual's fault. Of course it's not. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a prediction here. Mm. Dave McWilliams podcast is going short the oil market now. Okay. Right. I think explain what that means for a second. I think it's peaked, right? Right. I think basically what has happened is, I think if you're if you've lots of money, John, which yeah. excludes you and I from this yes. thing, right? Yes, yeah. What you should do now is before the oil market begins to fall, so the price of oil, one hundred and twenty or whatever yeah. dollars a barrel it is now, right? I think it'll be back down at around eighty quite soon. Really? Yeah, I think what's going to happen is because there's a great expression in commodity markets, which is that the solution for high prices is high prices, and what it means is that what happens when prices are very very high, and we've talked about this before particularly in commodity markets, as a result of maybe a tightening or a war or supply chain issues mm. or whatever, mm. is that the very high prices coax other producers to come on. So, for example, in the case of oil, 
the cheapest place to produce oil in the world is Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay, because the oil is just under the sand. Right? Yeah. So you basically just drop a small well. Yeah. The most expensive place is probably fracking in the United States. Right. right. So fracking only becomes economically viable at, let's say, $90 a barrel, whereas Saudi is viable at $27 a barrel. Ooh, okay. right. Yeah. So what happens then? Huge difference. Huge difference. So as prices go up, right, as oil prices go up, right, those mining efforts that were priced for $90 a barrel at $140 a barrel become actually quite profitable. Mm. So you get a whole surge of high-cost producers that come because they're validated by the high price. Yeah. This then floods the market with supply and prices fall back down. And what you find is those mines, those fracking mines go out of business, right? This is why they're always on the really speculative end of investment. Yeah, right? yeah. If you want to go to the juicy end, in fact, this week a guy passed away called James Dines, D-I-N-E-S. And he used to write an amazing newsletter called the Dines Newsletter, right. which was at the funky end of the investment scale. He was into <laughs> uranium and fracking, and he's a gold bug. Really brilliant writer. In actual fact, somebody that I read for quite a while didn't always subscribe to his views, but the way he wrote was beautiful. But that's the idea. And he, he was always saying, you know, the solution to high prices, high prices. So right now, what's going to happen in oil is loads and loads high-cost producers are going to come in yeah. They're going to flood the market, and at a certain stage, prices are going to fall. And what we know about oil prices is when they start to fall, there's a momentum on the way up and on the way down. And against the background of global warming, oil prices have to fall because yes. we're making this shift. So structurally, you know, burning dead stuff, which is in effect fossil fuels, yeah. is the energy of the past. Renewables is the energy of the future. And although we're seeing a spike in energy prices now, long-term, energy prices will come down yeah, because the source yeah. is going to come yeah. down. And that's why Christine Lagarde is taking this view, like, what's the point raising interest rates? Back to your point, if you raise interest rates, we said it before, interest rates are the price of money. Yeah, If the price of energy has risen, risen, the only impact of increasing the price of money is a recession, right? Because the recession then kicks demand downwards, then demand disappears then prices fall, but you get higher levels of unemployment. And what Lagarde is saying, at a time of war, I'm not going to be responsible for a recession. Well, from recession to house prices. From recession to boom. <laughs> to boom. Boom to bust, bust to boom. Coming up after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. John, do you know what the most terrifying thing? There are many terrifying things in life. <laughs> yes, But there for are. me, one of the most terrifying things is talking to tradesmen, people who can right. do things. You know, my late father-in-law, Billy, yes. used to say to me about my inability to do things practical. Yeah. He used to say, you should have your shoelaces taken away from you. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, you're so handless. He used to call me, you're absolutely handless. Handless. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So you're just handy and I, handless. <laughs> I was absolutely handless, right? And the idea was that taking the shoelaces away, because I'm a danger to myself yeah. with my own shoelaces. Right. This is very, very deep Belfast carry on. But I was sitting at home the other day talking to two plumbers. Not one, but two. Two. And it is a total head fuck for me because I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And of course, Shan is changing radiators. Only my missus in the middle of an energy crisis will be changing radiators. Probably high efficiency radiators in fairness to her. But interestingly, bought in Belfast. So the two lads were saying to me, they're just saying they're out the door with work in the construction centre. They were saying you can get anywhere around here. The sites are working maximum, Mm. right? And they said there's any number of what they described as small jobs. So jobs and houses like like ours. But I was asking them what the story is. They said the price of materials is shocking. And they go up to Belfast to buy things. Even though Belfast, they said it used to be much cheaper. It's now not that much cheaper. They're just saying like wood, piping, radiators, the stuff. You know, right. The nuts and bolts of plumbing. It's gone. a fair amount of, of money that's leaving the country then. Well, it's a, it's a huge amount of money that's leaving the country. But given that half of the construction industry are actually from the north anyway. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed all the Armagh flags in Dublin on, on big, if you look, you look at cranes in Dublin, right? right? You've two flags always sticking out the back of the Mayo flags. Mayo, Ar- I was going to say, yeah, I, I see Mayo more fl- Mayo. And Armagh flags, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Armagh great scaffolders, right? <laughs> okay. South Armagh in particular, I wonder why. Anyway, that's the thing. <laughs> but, but we were chatting then about house prices and they were saying, look, obviously all this cost is bleeding into house prices and the latest data on Irish house prices extraordinary. Irish house prices have grown by 15.3%. So Irish houses are 15.3% more expensive this March yeah. than last March. That's in one wow. year, okay? Nationwide house prices are up. I think the year before, house prices only rose 3% the year before. Yeah. They're now up 15%. That, well, in fairness, there is the COVID factor. There is the that. COVID, but even still, it is it is phenomenal. Yeah. It is phenomenal, right? Think about the, the data, right? So nationwide house prices are up 15.3%. Apartments are up 14.3%. The cost of apartments in Dublin surging 17.8% higher than a year ago to buy, okay? Yeah. House prices across the, in the rest of the country are rising higher and house prices in Dublin. I mean, if you look at these... Why are, is that? These are double digit. The reason is very simple because of the COVID. Lots of people are saying, I'm going to... Moving back. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm going to buy my house in Mayo or I'm going to buy a house in Galway and I'm going to work remotely or do two days a week and I can commute and all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But what you're seeing is this extraordinary surge in house prices. In a sense, the government has lost control of the single most 
elemental issue that they've nailed colours to, which is reducing house prices because they've lost control of it because these are double-digit rates of inflation, right? And just to give you a sense, okay, house prices have recovered by about 117% since the trough of 2013. And now, this is the scary thing, they're only 3% off the Celtic Tiger peak. Jesus. Peak yeah. in 2007, right? Now, extreme house prices, extreme increases in the price of anything. We were mm. talking about oil earlier on. Yeah. This is not healthy, right? Because extreme no, house not. prices, extreme prices, tell you there's something fundamentally wrong with the market, yeah. right? There's something wrong at its very depth because, again, income should be the foundational price of homes because all homes are paid for, most of them by mortgages, and mortgages are a function of income. So what we're seeing is house prices going this way, incomes remaining static, yeah. okay? And after inflation, take-home incomes falling. So what you can see, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. Think about affordability now, right? Average home in Ireland costs 330,000 euros, the average in the country. Massive. Yeah. It's now, massive. Now think about income. The median disposable income of a household with two working adults, right? Yeah. Is around 50 to 55 grand. This is their gross income is about 80 grand, but their take-home income is about 55, yeah. right? This means house prices are completely unaffordable, completely unaffordable at the average. Yeah. Forget about going into various different things. And of course, that's just looking at buyer's market. Think about renters, right? Because many, many people just want to rent. Loads of people, you know, are yeah, fine. Now, the fascinating thing was that two weeks ago when you had the COVID, mm -hmm. right, I went to London to see Lucy. And I went to a couple of bars in Hackney with her and her mates. These bars in Hackney, I was in, it was in one called the Sperto Arms. Sperto Arms? Yeah, the Sperto Arms Not a Hackney. great name. No, lads. it's not. But it's a nice boozer, though. It's right, a nice boozer. enough. But we went in, and it was just myself and Lucy, and all you heard were Irish accents. Right. All listening to the new Fontaine's album, by the way. Oh, yeah. Just dropped. Which... Which is a fantastic album. Exactly, but all, they were actually voted the best band in the world by the NME. Right, yeah, which yeah. Which is yeah. a little bit of a heavy <laughs> fucking burden, you know. Not the best band in Hackney, you're the best band in London, best band in the world. But anyway, the extraordinary thing was all, not all, but a hugely substantial amount of the punters in the bar last Sunday night were young Irish people. And the vast majority of them have left because of rents. And I'll just give you, I'll give you some figures about Irish rents now. Right? Yeah, yeah, go on. Look, in, fa in fairness though, before you do that, London rents aren't the cheapest though either. But you know what they say is what you get for your rent is better. You get a better gaff because sure. the quality of Irish stuff is appalling as yeah. well as the price being very high, which is a function of what we want to talk about is not enough building, yeah. right? But just give you a couple more figures. Let's say graduates, right? The average graduate salary it's 35 grand a year, including all bonuses, right? Leaving them with a take-home pay of around 29,000 euros per year, right? Yeah. This is in Ireland. That's about 240, about 2,400 euros a month, Yeah. okay? Or about 560 euros a week. So that's what the average graduates. The latest DAF report shows that the average one-bedroom rent in Ireland is 1,407, right? And the cheapest postcode in Dublin Dublin 22, monthly rent, the cheapest for a one-bedroom flat is 1,295, right? That's more than half of a graduate's pay packet. 
So it's impossible for a graduate, so say 25, 26, yeah. to actually live alone, right? It's, it's completely impossible, right? Yeah. And therefore they've got to share rooms. They've got to, get a, they've got to get a room, right? And the cheapest room in the city is 590 a month, which is again, out of, a week out of their pay packet. The cheapest room, yeah. right? And then you go back to the quality, as you've seen. And if you've seen on... The quality crazy of, house price things. He puts up some mad, mad places. But that's reality for yeah. people. And I remember I was yeah. teaching in Trinity a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to all these young Indians and young Italians who were studying Trinity and they loved Ireland, but they just said, man, get a grip of this housing thing, right? They were talking about in places like Turin, you yeah. can rent a flat for 280 euros a month. A flat. Wow. And Turin is like, it's not Milan, but it's, yeah. it's a big, substantial Italian city. So of course the question is then, why are all those kids in Hackney? Because they couldn't be arsed paying rent here. Yeah. Even though we've a huge, huge surplus of jobs. And then, of course, what's the solution? The solution is build more and build quicker. But you know what? Have a look around town at the moment and around this area, Dunleary and, and all the rest. There's a lot of new building sites. There's a lot of land being cleared. But that's There's what a... those plumbers were saying. They're out the door with work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we need to do it more and more and more of it, right? And the interesting thing, John, the housing market in every country reflects the society. So there's rich people, there's poor people, mm. there's in-between people. And that means what has to be built are rich people's houses, poor people's houses, which have to be subsidised, in-between houses, right? Yeah. So, you know, the idea that we should only build houses for the very poor is not going to solve the crisis. And remember I talked about because people shunt on, right? Yeah. When you have a housing crisis, it's like the market for second-hand cars in Cuba. Do you remember we did that? Yes. Yeah, right? yeah. So my friend who passed away, Desmond Boylan, who Cal and his mates yeah. did the transition year with in Havana, Desmond Boylan had a an eight-year-old Renault car, right? Uh, really, and it was really, really Battered fun. Battered all yoke. Battered all yoke, right? Cost him 50 grand. The same car would cost what? you right? fifty grand in Cuba. Yeah, the same car would cost you on done deal about twelve hundred quid. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how do you think a country that is poor like Cuba has incredibly expensive second-hand Renaults, and a country that is rich like Ireland has incredibly cheap second-hand Renaults? And it's due to the fact that Cubans have limited imports of everything. So they can't import American stuff, cars, right? Yeah. So they only import second-hand cars. But because those second-hand cars constitute the very best car in Cuba, yeah. think about it, all the people who are working for foreigners are, are, you know, and maybe have a bit of money or a company might pay for them, get those second-hand cars. So ironically, when the market is completely strangled, the price of really shitty quality goes up, not down. So think right. that in the back of your head now. Yeah, that's and think now about yeah. Irish house prices, right? When the market is strangled because of planning objections, the price of shitty flats goes up, not down. So and the reason is the following. The flats that used to be the preserve of middle-income people, mm. right? Because not enough has been built, rich people buy those flats, right? Yeah. So their price goes up. So the middle-income people end up buying the places that used to be reserved by poor people. Yes. Right? Or poorer yeah. people, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. why you get barristers living in council houses in Ireland. Yeah. All the time, right? And of course, the kids who are brought up in council houses around here, right, you'll notice that they live actually in Gorey. They live in Wicklow. They've moved out yes. to get more yeah, space, have. right? Yeah, yeah. So you see that all the time. That's the Dulcies. 
Yeah. The Dublin culties, right? And the people who are at the bottom end up homeless. So it's a shunting on process based yeah. exactly on the same idea as the second-hand car in Cuba. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to flood the market in Cuba with cars for the whole thing to adjust properly, which is why the second-hand car on done deal costs 1,200 quid here because the market is flooded of cars. You might yeah. not say that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's how the dynamic works. So now think about house prices, right? So what we know is the problem in Ireland is not enough homes, yes. which is why shitty homes cost a fortune, right? And the rest of the world laughs at us because they say, you paid that much for that crap. <laughs> I know, yeah. Right? Keep your Cuban cars in the back of your head, right? <laughs> the solution for Ireland is to build more homes, posh homes, poor homes, good homes, in between homes. And therefore, huge amounts of planning restrictions means homes won't be built, which means the price of crappy homes goes up and Irish people suffer living in terrible places for New York City-style rents. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then we think, okay, well, what's actually going on? And this brings me to something I've been really kind of trying to grapple with, right? And it's about... I was reading a guy called Noah Smith. We've had him on the podcast. Yes, one. Yeah, very, yeah. very brilliant. He's got a the man who loves rabbits. He likes a rabbit. He likes rabbits and yates. Yes. What's not to love? <laughs> rabbits and yates. Okay. But he talked about a new class that he saw emerging in America. And I think it's very interesting. And you know, we've heard about the, the precariat class, right? So these are young graduates, educated. I would call I call them the educated but excluded, mm. right? In the past if you got, let's say, a university education, it almost guaranteed you a decent income because there were so few university-educated yeah. people and the premium that type of education was very high. Now what we have is a very precarious educated class. It's basically a class that is experiencing downward social mobility for the first time because they are educated, but they can't find the right jobs. So they find precarious jobs. And those jobs are jobs that okay. kind of thing. And that used to be a kind of an, an interesting observation about society. Now I think it's becoming the norm for people in their 20s, right? And, and are these from a particular sector of, of community or are they looking for jobs in a particular sector? No, in, or is, in everything. So you, what you find now is that... But there's buckets of jobs. There are buckets is, of jobs, but they're not. There's a, there's a great there's a great great book by a guy called David Graeber who died very suddenly last year called Bullshit Jobs, right? right. Okay. And he's talking about jobs that are right. This is one of them. Now, this is this is, <laughs> this is a proper bullshit job, right? But bullshit jobs. He's talking about jobs that just you know you go through the motions. They don't really give any satisfaction. They don't really have any end game because they're usually in large bureaucracies, yeah. big companies, yeah. all that sort of stuff. But what you find is that the people who have these precarious jobs are squeezed between some of their former colleagues who have proper jobs and rising house prices. So every single year they stay in the precarious job, houses and rents get higher and higher. Right. So they get frozen out of the market increasingly. So what began at the age of 22 as a pain in the ass, yeah. by the time you're 30, becomes existential verdict on life because you're completely right, locked yeah. out. Now, Noah Smith calls that, they were, they're called the precariat. Noah Smith calls them the haute precariat, like the haute bourgeoisie, right. which Marx talked, right? And they're basically hyper-educated children 
of reasonably well-off parents who are now faced with the situation that not only will they not ever live in the town they were brought up, nor in the city they were brought up, but even if they live in the city, they're going to live on this, in this kind of pre- precarious never world. Yes. Where landlords can kick them out, where they don't have a stake in society, all that sort of stuff. But to get back to Le Pen, right? Well, I've said, actually... Because the just, youth voted for Le Pen. Yeah. And why? Because, not because they're racist. It's not that. You know, French youth hang out with, you know, Arabs, blacks, whatever. They all hang out, right? Yeah. It's because they're precarious, because they've lost the moorings of society. That idea of, you know, there's a gradual, I always think that social mobility is a bit like a conveyor belt. Yes. That you get on the conveyor belt and you do the right thing and gradually you actually move upwards. As if by magic. That's what economic growth is all about. Yeah, yeah. But that's stopped for a huge amount of people. So the equivalent then in Ireland would be the Shinners. Precisely. Precisely. The people who are voting Sinn Féin have moved away from, they're not United Irelanders, you know? Yes. They might, that might be an added bonus, yeah. but it's not yeah, the yeah, driving yeah. force. They're not nationalists. It's, as the that's more notional. Force. Yeah, it's more an aspiration, right? What they are saying is we are the precariat. Yeah. We are the host precariat even. And we are voting because we are losing our grip, our stake in society. Yeah. You know, and, and I see this happening all the time. So what you see then is that the very young left are voting for parties that at the moment are objecting to loads and loads of planning. Why? Because they framed the housing debate in a class war. Now, if you oppose planning, right, and you do it a lot, Mm. the Shinners are doing it a lot, who benefits? The people who already own homes, the middle class, the middle-aged middle class like you and me, benefit from the Shinners blocking planning all around Dunleary, for example, or all around South Dublin, or all around Dublin City, yeah. or North Dublin, right? The only people who benefit are the people who, by sitting on their asses and doing nothing, get wealthy because their house price increases. So, in a way, a lot of the young voters have been hoodwinked into an ideological prism, which is making their position more, not yeah. less precarious. And I mean, the danger, and we'll conclude here, John, and you mentioned Le Pen there, right? The danger is that when you don't have a stake, right, yeah. in society, you might not have a stake, but you have a vote. Absolutely. And it's very, very easy to burn the house down if you don't own a house. While you're there now, I hope you're still enjoying this malarkey because John and I are certainly enjoying it. Thank you very, very much to our Patreons. And if you're not a Patreon and you feel like supporting us and you fancy all sorts of exclusive goodies... Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams.